We are in number 14 of the last days on fallen earth. We're in Daniel chapter 9 today. This chapter is called the interrupted prayer, all right? And so can, can you just can you do something for me? Can you just repeat after me? We receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of you in the next 45 minutes in the name of Jesus Christ. The first 19 verses of this chapter are concerning Daniel's prayer that he's praying to God. And then we go into verse 21 and, 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 and this 27 verse chapter, you have the angel Gabriel interrupting Daniel's prayer and basically gives Daniel what some people would call the most illuminating prophecy in the whole Bible. The most astounding, really when you, <laughs> it's a mathematical prophecy and when you do the math, it's astounding. And I don't know how many of you knew this before you hear this today, but I did not know this. And it, it, it really, really shocked me on how precise the Bible is. It's called the 70-week prophecy. And the verses we're really gonna focus on in the next two weeks are Daniel 24, 9, 24, 25, 26, and 27. But let's go to Daniel 9, 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asuharus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of Chaldeans. Some people believe this is, Darius was the actual uncle of Cyrus the Great. Some scholars. But no one can prove that. Cyrus put him in as king to hold his place and govern the city of Babylon after the Persians conquered it. Verse two in Daniel nine, the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So this is what Daniel was reading right here, okay? This or um, Jeremiah 4, or excuse me, 29 verses 4 and 10. He had to have been reading one of those those verses. And this is what he said. This whole thing starts. He was reading the book of Jeremiah in regards to what Jeremiah was prophesying about the Jews' 70 years in captivity. And so he was either reading Jeremiah 29, 4, and 10, or what we just read. So in verse 2, you see Daniel reading the Bible and takes the 70 years quoted by Jeremiah as a precise time. He doesn't take it as an allegory. He doesn't take it as a prediction or an estimate, and he would have been counting. He knows it's close to being there, the Jews' 70 years of captivity. So he knew the 70 years was just about up. Daniel 9, 3. I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so what Daniel is doing here is he's functioning as an intercessor for the Jewish people. In regards to an intercessor, the person who's interceding, you could say, in a sense, in, in a way that at least spiritually for sure, but sometimes I've even seen physically becomes that for which they're making intercession. They, be, they become that person, okay? At least spiritually. Sometimes I've seen it physically. It's never happened to me physically, but he puts on a sack clothes and ashes. He takes the place of the sinner and feeling his countryman's sins and its effects. And you can almost see him, feel him doing this in this prayer. And from there, he intercedes from that perspective. You'll see in this prayer, and I'm going to just read the whole prayer for you. He almost seems to become one with the sinner. He's interceding for the Jewish people, even though He's only one of two guys in the whole Bible that you can't find one negative thing about outside of Jesus Christ. 
One of them is Daniel, the other one is Joseph. You cannot find any, the Bible saying one mistake that they made. I'm not saying they never sinned. It's just you're not gonna find one thing. The Bible doesn't mention one thing that either one of them ever did. So here's the prayer. Bear with me, okay? And it's an old, remember now, he's constantly going to the mercy of God. He's, he's constantly looking at the mercy of God, right? And he, there, he's under a different covenant. He's talking about the law of Moses. You're under a different covenant. You're not under the law of Moses, okay? You're under a covenant where your sins and iniquities he has mercy on, and your lawless deeds of unrighteousness he doesn't remember, all right? But you have to believe you're under that covenant. So I prayed unto the Lord my God. I made my confession and said, O oh Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. You know, I'm reading a lot every night about Second Chronicles and Second Kings, about those kings, those Israeli kings. And they would get off, and the Lord would send the prophet in, and he'd tell them he's off. And if they would just adjust a little bit, the punishment would come off. I noticed he's very merciful. And those guys, most of those guys didn't even take the idols away. There were, they call these things, had these things called groves up in the mountains where they'd have their, all their little idols. And they didn't enforce that. They just got their own lives right. And God's mercy was there every time, even under the law. And so verse seven, O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee. But unto us, confusion of faces, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, unto all of Israel that are near, that are far off, through all the countries, whether thou hast driven them, because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. Remember, the northern kingdom of, 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 of Israel, the Assyrians took away. The southern kingdom, the Babylonians, took them all away. Verse 8, O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness. He always comes back to this. Though we have rebelled against him, if you don't have faith, rely on his mercy. Think about his mercy. If you don't have the faith for it, neither have we obeyed the voice of of the Lord our God, to walk in the laws which he has set before us, his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him, and therefore we are cursed. Right? That's what's in the law of Moses. If you blow it, you're cursed. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. For we obeyed not his voice. Okay, Daniel. Okay. Right? And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renowned as at this day we have sinned. We have done it wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee. Let thine anger and thy fury be turned away. Turn your anger away. He's actually saying to him, in your fury from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins, for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become approach 
to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications. Cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate. O my God, incline thy ear and hear. Open your eyes, God. Have you ever said that? Open your eyes, God. So that's what he just said. And behold our desolation. See, open your eyes and see the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness. We're not doing it for our righteousness because we're so good. We're doing it because you're merciful. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for your sake. He's actually saying, do it for your sake. Wow. He's, he's taking every angle. Oh, my God, for thy city and for thy people. Are call, we're called by your name. If we're called by your name, then you do it for your sake. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God of the holy mountain of my God, while he was doing this, Daniel is not through with his intercession for his Jewish brothers and sisters. He's interrupted, right? Verse 21, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly. So that's a hint about angels. They can fly swiftly. <laughs> Touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Well, there was no evening oblation in Persia. They weren't sacrificing. So what that means is Daniel still kept the time of the evening sacrifice, even though there were no sacrifices. And he informed me and talked with me, said, oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am to come to show you, for thou art greatly beloved, Daniel, wouldn't that be cool for an angel to show up and interrupt your prayers and say, God commanded me to come down here and tell you you're greatly beloved. The only other one that's beloved, where is beloved? We're talking Bible characters, are John and Daniel. And interestingly enough, those are the only two that you see eschatology being revealed to. David was his friend. Abraham was his friend. He had friends. And I'd like to be his friend. But look at the beloved dudes. They're operating in things today that, that no one else gets, you'll see. And so he said, therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. So we're looking at the 70 weeks. Let me just give you a run through. The verses we read, we're about to read in Daniel 24, will set up an overview for verses 25, 26, and 27. Daniel 9.25 is going to deal, what we're talking about today is going to deal with 69 of the 70 weeks, okay? Many people, commentators, scholars believe it's possibly one of the most startling passages in the Bible. Daniel 25, 9.25. So, verses 26, all right, which is between 27, 25 and 27, deals with the things that happen after the 69 weeks end and before the 70 weeks starts. Verse 25 deals with the 69 weeks, okay? And verse 27 deals with the 70 weeks. I'll put all that on the screens for you. Verse 26 is telling us there's something between the 69th week but before the 70th week, you'll get what I'm saying. Okay, let me show you a little graph. and You'll get this even better next week, right? Verse 25, today, we're talking about 69 weeks of years, okay? When you hear 70 weeks, 69 weeks, you know how you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's all a day? You don't look at it like that. Monday's a year. Tuesday's a year, Wednesday's a year, Thursday's, right? A week, it's a week of years instead of days. You've got to think like that. You've got to get that through your heads, okay? Five o'clock didn't, but 9 a.m. did. 
and they were happier. Everybody's happier. You got to think like that, right? A week of years is what I'm talking about here. 69 weeks of years. There's, there's seven weeks and 62 weeks equals 69 weeks, right? Verse 27, the 70th week. Verse 26 is the interval time, okay? So verse 924, Daniel 924, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, that's Jerusalem, to finish the transgression and make an end of sins. Has that been done? No. Look, turn on the TV. Is sins at an end? No. You could say, um, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. You could say at the cross that's been done. Okay? To bring everlasting righteousness. Scholars debate that. If that happens in the millennial, when he takes over millennium, okay? Or if we, by that gift of righteousness, have that everlasting righteousness, but we know this hasn't been done, and seal up the vision and the prophecy. All the visions and prophecies are not sealed up, okay? And to anoint the most holy. So all those 70 weeks, all those things have to happen. And we can see that they haven't all happened, okay? All right, so you can say in those 70 weeks that we just talked about, okay, 70 weeks of years, okay? And so, the, so we talk about the transgression and making an end to sins. That's obviously not done, okay? It could be argued that reconciliation for sin has been done on the cross, right? Everlasting righteousness, that's a toss-up, depending on what commentators and scholars say. But whatever else is true, we can say those 70 weeks are not completed. So a week, how long is a week? Our weeks, right, are days. This is not days, okay? It's a week of years, seven years in a week, all right? That's how we're thinking, all right? And th think about it. Um, we think of a week as seven days, as it talks about in Genesis chapter 2, well, Leviticus 23, you have a feast of weeks, a week of weeks, right? You can see that in Exodus 12 and Leviticus 23. Okay, this is a year of weeks we're talking about today, all right? Now, just let me explain. How many people know why were the Jews in captivity for 70 years? Raise your hand if you really know. You guys are all shy. Nobody knows. Mark Miller knows. I bet you Mark Miller knows. Who else knows besides Mark Miller? I see another guy. Wow, we need to go over that, okay? So it's 2 Chronicles 36, 18 through 23, right? That'll tell you why. But can I paraphrase it? Why did they have to go away for 70 years? You need to know that, all right? They had to leave their country for 70 years, okay, because they did not keep a commandment. The, the, for 490 years, they never let the ground rest for a year. They were supposed to, by the law, okay, under, of Moses, give the land a rest. They, they could plow it and plant it for six years. The seventh year, they had to leave it. They couldn't plant and plow. And they, they didn't understand that actually would cause the land to give back more because the land had a rest. So God says, well, you didn't do that for 490 years, guys. You didn't give the land one year off. So God is like, you owe me 70 Sabbath years. God said the land is going to rest for 70 years because you guys are out of here. And so the land rested. We know that Daniel's prayer was to the people of Israel upon his people and upon his holy city. So that's why they had to, they, they, they broke the law. They just, they kept planting and planting and planting. And they just disregarded what he said for the land. And they wasted 70 years. So these are the words of the archangel Gabriel. You have 70 weeks of years being decreed. All right? And, and the word determined in verse 24 means cut off. This is saying, out of all time, God is going to cut out 70 weeks 
of years, okay? Monday, remember, you know what I'm saying? Monday's a year, Tuesday's a year, Wednesday's a year, not a day. Just think if every day was a year, wouldn't it be a long week, right? <laughs> think of it like that, right? And so, <laughs> it wouldn't be a fun, fun week, okay? Maybe for some people they would like that, right? But this is saying that out of all time, God's going to cut out 70 weeks of years just to deal with Israel, all right? At, at the point of all those 6,000 years or however old the world is, he cuts out 70 weeks of years to deal with this little country, okay? And so I'm not going to confuse you. I don't want to over-explain this. So in verse 24, Daniel has been told that 70 weeks of years have been cut out for God to deal with Israel. Understand, that, I mean, just to, this is, this is 10 seven-year cycles, right? 10 times, 70 is set, 10 times 7 is 70, okay? 70 weeks of years, okay? Seven years in a week, right? What's 7 times 70? 490, Okay? So if you add up 70 weeks of years, that adds up to 490 years total. Are you following me? I learned some lessons at the five o'clock. Now it's been more than 2,400 years since Daniel 9 took place. And I know 70 weeks of years sounds strange, okay? Now let's look at the next verse, Daniel 9, 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, from that time, there's a starting point here, from the going forth, when the commandment goes forth, what? Unto Messiah the Prince. Ending time. It could be translated Messiah King. Okay? Shall be seven weeks, three score, in two weeks. Then it says, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. Can you just, can we just keep that scripture up there for a second? Can you just trust me on something? I, I'm just, I just promise you, it, this is not even in contention with scholars and commentators. Shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks is 69 weeks of years. Can you trust me on that, or do you want me to really try to explain that? That 69 weeks of years of the 70, that's what, what's going to happen. What did he just say? No one understand. Not talking about something being hidden here. Gabriel's saying something you should know and understand to Daniel. In other words, Daniel is expected to understand this. What's he supposed to understand? Well, it says that from the going forth, from the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah, we'll just put it this way, because this is how it is, being called king. Until Messiah is called king, shall be 69 weeks of years. Okay, you following me? But here's the thing, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times, so what we just read, okay, you know, just for those of you who are really trying to figure out, a score is 20. So what's three score? 60, hand hint, okay? And so of the rest of you, just believe what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> and scholars don't know why it was completed, you know, a, a seven weeks and three score in two weeks. They don't know why it was presented this way. So one of the speculations is that it took seven weeks of years to really get Jerusalem built. Okay? Took a long time. It wasn't like Cyrus just said, all right, you're free, and they went down there and built it. Oh, no. Okay? And different scholars have different opinions. Okay? This is a mathematical prophecy. Right? So remember now, Jerusalem was destroyed 70 years ago almost, and Daniel's an old man now when he's hearing this. Gabriel tells Daniel, going from the going forth of the commandment to build Jerusalem. Rebuild it. Remember that now. This is when the 69 weeks starts. 
unto Messiah being let, letting himself be called king. That's when it ends, okay? But what does this mean when the Holy Spirit says in verse 24, the street shall be built again in the wall even in troublous times. You know what he's doing? He's, he's anticipating anything that could be a misunderstanding. And so that's why he puts this in there, okay? For these 69 weeks of years, what this is saying is there's a beginning and there's an end. The beginning point is the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, okay? That's the beginning of the 69 weeks. The end, the conclusion, is Messiah being called king. I'll give you a hint. When he rides the donkey into Jerusalem and they, he is letting himself be called king. This is what the prophecy is. There's going to be 69 weeks of years between those two times. The angel is prophesying. Okay? Okay, and I'm going to show you how, how some really smart people, and we've got to give God the credit, got what they got. In some study Bibles, you can find footnotes. There are three different decrees of commandments, which qualifies the commandment to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. But actually, there are four decrees. Cyrus made a decree in 537 B.C. That's in Ezra 1, 2, and 4. Cyrus was freeing the Jews to go home and build the temple. He said nothing about Jerusalem. And they struggle, and they struggle, and they struggle to build the temple. And that's what the book of Ezra is about. Because in the book of Ezra, they didn't get very far. If you read it, it's very interesting. They were defending themselves while they're working on the temple. They have to have a weapon. So they had to have a weapon in one hand and, and, and the tool in the other hand. They, had no, they couldn't defend themselves. So basically, they couldn't, they couldn't get it done. They were being attacked. Then Darius, 522 B.C., that's in Ezra 6.8. That's another decree. Go down there, guys, and build the temple. Darius said it, right? Anaxerxes came up, 458 B.C., Again, Ezra 7, go down there and build the temple, guys, right? One problem here. They're not talking about Jerusalem. None of these decrees. But you had a decree. It's in Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for Anaxerxes. Anaxerxes issues another decree in 445 B.C. It's recorded in three different places in Nehemiah 2. And the reason this decree is the most important one is because the fourth decree deals with the whole city of Jerusalem. It's the only one, all right? And you know what's even amazing? They have the date of that. They have the date that was decreed, okay? And so what kicks off the beginning is the comment in Daniel 9, 25. Let's look again. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem... What's that date? We got to have that date. We want to see how accurate the Bible is. Let's look at the date. Now, therefore, understand that the going forth of that commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, that's where this thing begins. And if we read the rest of this verse, it starts at the rebuilding of Jerusalem, that time period, and ends when Jesus rides the donkey into Jerusalem. Okay? Because they're calling him king. He is allowing himself to be called king. So, notice at the end of Daniel 9.25, can we just look at this? This is the, a little hint here. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Okay? The whole city's redone. Gets redone. This is the decree. The first three decrees we read about, they don't concern us because they only dealt with the temple. King Anaxerxes trusted Nehemiah as his cupbearer and food taster, I would have been a food taster back in those days. I would have risked it. I would have risked it, depending on the, the royal family, right, how they were and all that. But what a job. But he gave Nehemiah the authority to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and put a wall around it and form some sort of Jewish government. Under Cyrus, he freed them to go home. But that's it. Right? They didn't have the authority to, to build the whole city of Jerusalem. 
in these earlier decrees. But in Nehemiah, you can see Nehemiah 2 gets the authority, and that's what the angel Gabriel is talking to Daniel about. And wow, they even have the date of the decree. Thanks to the world of archaeology. March 14th, 445 BC. That is when that decree was made. Okay? So you got a real date. Wouldn't that be really cool if we could get that other date and we could we could add up those days? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Now, something that you have to keep in mind. The Bible always deals in 360-day years, okay? It's a well-known fact in Genesis chapter 7 and 8. You can find a year consisting of 12 30-day months, okay? I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm just excited about this. I just found this out myself. I'm just a few days ahead of you, right? So from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible, it, it, it counts years as 360-day years. The, and, and that's not an uncommon thing. The Assyrians, the Chaldeans, the Egyptians, the Hebrews, the Persians, the Hindus, the Mayans, the Chinese, the Phoenicians, all had 360-day yearly cycles, 12 30-day mo- months, okay? They all had them. But, oh, there's... Spend a long time on this sermon, but I'll just tell you this. In 701 BC, that all started to change. 701 BC, everybody started adjusting their calendars and slowly adding time to their calendars. Right down to the Romans, who added five and a quarter days. Julius Caesar added five and a quarter days. So the years got longer. But in the Bible, you count it as 360. Right, and then you get into this this deal, studying the commentary on the day when Joshua held up the sun. Right, that 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 messes that can mess everything up. Right, so we're just not we're not going to go that in depth. But I'm telling you, but keeping in mind the 360 day year, let's look at the starting point when the angel Gabriel said 69 weeks starts. According to the angel Gabriel and Xerxes' commandment to Nehemiah to restore and build a Jerusalem and the temple, and it ends when Jesus is riding the donkey. You know, palms, the palm day. Why not waving palm? Proclaim. Did you guys ever go to church where they handed out palms? We should hand out some palms sometime. So, so how, how are you ever going to measure out the time, except if you, if you get a date when the Messiah is called king, in verse 25, you, you got to have a date. When was Jesus proclaimed king? Well, in John 6, they tried to make proclaim him king, and he slipped off and didn't let it happen. He wouldn't let him do it. You have the prophecy of the day Jesus is proclaimed king in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just having salvation, lowly, riding upon a donkey, and upon a colt and the foal of a donkey. Remember when Jesus told the disciples to go get a donkey? You guys remember that? They bring, am I too animated today? I don't know if I just had too much coffee. I had no Red Bull between services. I just, I'm yelling, I'm punching, I'm, I'm posing. Okay. And so they bring the donkey back to him, and he rides the donkey into Jerusalem. In Luke 19, you have a triumphal entry with Jesus riding the donkey into the city. People are waving branches of palm trees, throwing them down in front of the donkey, then throwing their coats in front of the donkey as he's riding in. And they're actually, it's scriptural that when he does that, that they would sing Psalm 118. I never knew this. That, you know that song? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord. Okay, you get my point. That song is what they're singing, okay? That song. And so that's like Lynn on the auto harp. We used to sing that all the time. Okay, and this is, 
the part of that Psalm, Luke 19, 38, saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is what they're saying. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. They're celebrating. This is the first time Jesus permitted himself to be, be proclaimed king. First time. So do we have a date on this? Wouldn't that be great? Because remember, going back to Daniel 9, 25, we're going from the commandment to restore Jerusalem by Anaxerxes to Nehemiah to the day where Jesus permits himself to be called king. One thing we know, that if Tiberius was appointed as Caesar in 14 AD, how do we know that? Because Augustus, Caesar Augustus, died on, Rome, on August 19th, 14 AD. We know when the guy before him died. Well, Luke 3 tells us Jesus began his ministry 15 years weren't up in the 15th year of Tiberius. That's what it says in Luke 3. We know for sure that Jesus' ministry began in the fall of 28 AD. Right? And from that point, you've got to give credit where credit is due to all this. And this is not new information. The whole thing I'm about to present to you comes from a man named Sir Robert Anderson. He published a famous, at this point, among scholars and commentators, a famous study in 1894 that was able to track down all of these details and how he reaches these points. The book that he published was called The Coming Prince, 1894. Someone figured this out. By Sir Robert Anderson. He was knighted. And by figuring out the date that Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey, which is not disputed, for the most part, April 6, 32 A.D. Why, why, is, why is Easter in April every year? You ever wonder that? April 6, 32 A.D. Sir Robert Anderson, if you take the number of years from the first decree of Anaxerxes on March 14, 445 B.C., that's the first decree, just like the angel said, going all the way through April 6th, 32 AD, and you go through the, you've got to do leap year calculations. Remember, people were changing their calendars, but he's going with the 360-day year, okay? Leap year calculations following the steps which he lays out in his book, The Coming Prince, Sir Robert Anderson, that was republished in 1994 when people really started to realize this guy hit it on the head. The number of days between Anaxerxes' decree and Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the donkey was exactly 173,880 days. Remember that, 173,880 days. All the days added up, okay? Let's look at Daniel 9.25 again. This, what's this that Gabriel is saying? Know therefore and understand Daniel from that decree by Anaxerxes, right, unto, and to restore Jerusalem unto Messiah being hailed by the Jewish people as king shall be 69 weeks of years. Okay? Well, what you do is you take, uh, you know, you, you think about that. 69 times 7 is 483 years. Remember, we did, we, did, we did 70 times 7, 70 weeks times 7. Okay, 490. Well, now you just take off seven years. We're not at 70th week. This is only 69 weeks. 483 years. Okay, you got 483 years, right? And there's 360 days, Bible days, in each one of those years, correct? Oh, so we... So we, let's add it up. Can we put that 69-week slide up there? 483 years. 69 weeks of seven years, okay? Times 360 days is 173,880 days. King Anaxerxes, second decree, March 14th, 445 B.C., 
to April 6, 32 AD, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey where the Jews held him as king. So what does all this say? Gabriel's margin of error in this mathematical prophecy when he said in Daniel 9.25, no one understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild in Jerusalem, to March, that was March 14th, 445 B.C., all the way down to where the Jewish people, where Jesus allowed the Jewish people to call him king, all right? Okay, if you look at all the leap year calculations and Sir Robert Anderson does it, he published a book on it. It's exactly the amount of days Gabriel hit it down to the day. He hit it down to the day. And how can you possibly deny that Jesus Christ isn't who he says he is? I mean, from, from the day of the decree, the March 14th, 445 B.C., till Jesus rides the donkey in on Palm Sunday. I think I've never ridden a donkey. I would just assume this is what it would look like, right? It's precise. It's not an approximate. And this has been proven a long time. Do you guys believe me? Because I was like, I was walked out of the office on Thursday. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me, but I'm just going to tell them what I learned. I was so happy. Listen, Luke, Luke, look, but let's look at this, because when you look at how Jesus reacted on this day, it says so much more into it. Luke 19, 32 through 39, when they were sent, went their way and found, even as he had said unto them, they went and found a donkey, verse 33, and as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why do you loose the colt? They said, the Lord hath need of him. They brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt. They put Jesus on the colt, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. It just doesn't sound like Jesus here. To even, are you put, okay, I'll get on the donkey and ride. You guys get out there and cheer now. It just doesn't sound characteristic of, of how Jesus acts up to this point, but he knew this was key. And so, um, they threw the, the, the garments out in front of the colt, uh, verse 37, or verse 36, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way, and when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, if you ever go on a tour to Israel, you'll walk down that very road. They tell you, and it's, it's really steep. You have to pay attention how you're walking. It's a smooth road, and it's really, it's really slippery, Right? And, and, and when he was come nigh, even now at the descent, the whole multitude of the disciples, which, remember, the, he had a lot of disciples, began to rejoice. The whole multitude of them began to, re, that's not just 12, okay? The whole multitude, all right? And praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed be the king, Psalm 118, that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. The Pharisees, from among the multitude, they knew what this was. They, they're like, they're welcoming the king. They're singing Psalm 118. And they, they, they looked at Jesus and said, rebuke your disciples. In verse, in verse 39, so the Pharisees are upset because they're calling him king. They said, you need to rebuke your people. He's riding the donkey. Shut up. No, I didn't say shut up. Just saying. No, this, I picture this. He answered them and said, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones around here would be crying out. You know, I don't know. I'm just, this is how I meditate, okay? And when he comes near, he came near, beheld the city. What did he do when he got to the bottom? He, he wept. He wept. Why? Was he being sensitive over the Pharisees? Because possibly, did he expect them to understand this day? Because he's coming in at the end, the last day of the 69 weeks of, of years, right? As Gabriel had predicted. Verse 42, and he, he says, Sing, if you had known, this is him, even you, at least in this thy day, if you had known, past tense, the things which belong 
unto your peace. But now they're hid from your eyes, guys. Wow. I, I get it now. And, and then he does something interesting. You know, he announces that things are now hidden from their eyes. Well, Paul in 11.25 says the Jews are blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles. It was almost like he was putting the blindness on them at that point. If you had known. And then goes on in a detailed prophecy in Luke 19, 43 and 44, and basically says, uh, for the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench, dig a trench around Jerusalem, compass thee around, keep thee on every side. You're not going to be able to get out. Verse 44, shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children with, within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Listen to this last phrase. Because you knew not the time of the visitation. You didn't know the visitation. He's expecting the scribes, you know, to get the fact, if they have to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they knew the word, they would know what this was, what this signified. The day he rides in and they're calling him king is the end of the 69 weeks to the day, okay? And that's why he probably cried. He wept. And he was right, he was right because Titus Vespasian with the 5th, 10th, 12th, and 15th Roman legions laid siege to Jerusalem 38 years later. For nine months they besieged Jerusalem. That means no food coming in, no food going out, Horror stories, people eating people. Basically, it gets down to the point if you're going to survive when all food is gone, all the, it's going to be a while. After a while, all the rats are going to be eaten. Everything's going to be eaten. All the cats, people start eating people. Documented women eating their children. They killed over 1 million men, women, and children, Jews, the Romans. 500,000 more died from the famine and pestilence that followed that siege. But notice, at the end of 44, the last words he says, you guys didn't know the time. You missed it, he's saying. So, Daniel 9, 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be 69 weeks of years. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So the angel Gabriel gives the exact amount of time in the mathematical prophecy of the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until the day Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. And they're throwing palms in front of him. Essentially, the angel Gabriel says, 69 weeks of seven years, the beginning of that time until the end of that time. And it's been worked out, the exact number of days, 173,880 days according to the biblical calendar, exactly 69 weeks of years. But the Bible, I just want, to, want you to remember now, this was all written in the Greek Septuagint. Some guy didn't get in there after Jesus died, said, I'm going to put all this in. We're going to scam them for, for thousands of years. No, this was down 300 years. It was written before Jesus was even born in the Greek Septuagint. Remember that guy we talked about last week, Ptolemy? He had that dynasty in Egypt. He brings in all the scribes, all the, 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 the professionals that knew the Bible, and they wrote the Greek Septuagint. They wrote the Hebrew Bible in Greek, and it took them 15 years to do it. In the Hebrew, that's what's called the Greek Septuagint, 300 years before Jesus was born. When you hear the disciples quote uh, when they're in their writings, the Old Testament, they're not quoting out of the Hebrew Bible. They're quoting out of the Greek, Greek Septuagint. They all use the Greek Septuagint. So what I'm saying is this is already written down. No one got Palm Sunday date and went in there and made the prophecy real quick. It was already there. The angel Gabriel. How can you not believe? So we've spent the whole sermon on verses 24 and 25. And 
Where's the 70th week, right? Well, that gets talked about in 26 and 27. Next week, if you have the guts to come back. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, why, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Okay. And so, let's, let's, uh, let's bring up communion. Not think, I'm really hungry, but maybe that's a problem. Let's bring up communion. Can you believe how precise the Bible is? I, I was condemned that I didn't know this. It's like common knowledge. This, this, this guy that, that, that put this stuff together and lays it out in his book, it's been out since 1894. And then the book got real popular. They repub- started republishing it in 94. You can go ahead and pass, pass the communion out. And if we could have uh, Romans 14, 22, and 23. Okay. Hast thou faith? Question mark. Have it to thyself before God? Do you have it? Do you have it? Because happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he allowed, in the thing that, that he allowed to happen which shouldn't have happened. So they're talking about someone who allowed something to happen that shouldn't have happened, and then they got condemned for it. And they're saying, do you have any faith? Okay. Verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat. You, for eat, you can put anything in there. He that doubteth is, is damned if he loses temper. Damned if he put any sin you want. Because he eateth not of faith. For whatever is not of faith is a sin. Whatsoever of faith is not a sin. Okay? Whatsoever of faith is not a sin. It's talking about doubt. If you doubt, it's a sin. I'll just explain this, this food, how food got involved here. The Holy Spirit is saying to Paul, if you're gonna go to a restaurant and you're sitting with your Jewish friend who grew up Jewish and they weren't only allowed to eat certain things, and that was their thing. They, you know, the fact that when God freed them to eat whatever they want, that was probably the biggest thing for them to get over. And Paul, the, the Holy Spirit's saying, just because if you, you know you can eat fried shrimp, doesn't fried shrimp sound good? Dude, just because you know you can eat fried shrimp doesn't mean the Jew sitting across the table from you, he's going to look and say, well, Paul's eating fried shrimp. Then I can have fried shrimp. But then the Bible's saying, but if he eats that fried shrimp and he goes later and he gets condemned because he couldn't handle eating the fried shrimp, then you're causing him to sin. What it's saying is if you're condemned for a mistake you've made, sin. It's not a good thing. Can we put the, the, the sculpture up? You can't tell me that, that, that we have to have this covenant of complete and total forgiveness because if doubt is a sin, you cannot not convince me that fear is not a sin. Matter of fact, it says fear is a sin. The Bible says fear is a sin. Worries is sin, all right? That, I mean, if, if doubt is a sin, I mean, doubt. I mean, I bet I sin in the car 10 times a day. That means not being a good witness is a sin. What are you looking at? Is it sin? Why are you staring at me? Is a sin. Judgment, judging others is a sin. Okay? We think there's big sins and little sins. Show me the sin scale in the Bible. There is none. Don't write in and say there is. There's not one. There's not a sin scale. Okay? My point is every sin you'll ever commit, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin. He became every sin you'll ever commit and have ever committed. He became 
your next week's sins already, okay? And, and died and took them to hell. Was punished for all your sins, all right? Do you get that? You have to know that. And if you're condemned for something that you've done, you're not giving him credit. See, we were supposed to bleed. He bled. This is a covenant. In a covenant, you bleed. He was our intermediary. This is, we're about to take communion here, right? About to commune with God. But, but my point is, he not only became every sin you ever committed. Why? Why? It was an exchange. He took these sins. He didn't deserve them. He gives you his righteousness, which you don't deserve. It's not a thing that you lose, that you, you gain it. It's a gift. The Bible calls it a gift. And what exactly is that righteousness? When he looks at you, he looks at you like he sees Jesus as if he'd never sinned. You have that as a gift, but you have to know that you have that gift. That's what makes your prayers powerful. You know you have that gift. You know how he's looking at you. You know he's smiling at you. And even when you mess up, you know he's forgiven you. And you can come right back to him. You don't have to run from him. It's called a gift of righteousness. And only when you become established in that gift that he gave you is when no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Why? Because our righteousness is of the Lord, not our own. Not our own. And so, this, the, and the Bible says that, that righteousness, we wouldn't have it if he wasn't raised from the dead. The Bible actually looks at you like you were raised from the dead. Did you know that? It, he looks at you. Like you paid the price. He given you credit for paying the price. So this is how you receive your healing. This is why spirit shouldn't be able to dominate you. This, he became every cancer, every, uh, every, every problem with any bone, joint, muscle, ligament, tendon, spine, hip, every, every, every blood clot, stroke. He became everything the devil could put on you. He was not only that sin, but he was, it was on him. He was sick up there, really sick. He bore it. That's what, he bore your cancer. He bore your PTSD. He bore your trauma. He bore your broken heart, carried your pain discomfort, fitful sleep, insomnia, mental anguish, stress. But you have to exercise it. Someone just said to me the other day, I'm waiting for your prayers for me to kick in. It almost made me mad. You need to use your authority. Use your own authority. Prayers from others can help you. You need to use your own authority in the name of Jesus against the devil every day and take, I asked Billy Brim, how long has she been in the ministry? 50 years? How long do you take your authority every day? Seven to 10 minutes? It's not just, I, I bind the principalities and the powers. I bind you, devil. And then you go out the door. No, no, no. You gotta bring it. If you don't have the energy to do it, you're going to be attacked. That's for somebody in here. I mean, there's people in the parking lot I've just laid hands on. They went slain in the spirit, and they're tracking me down before I get my car. Pray for me. I said, I just prayed for you. I just prayed for you. I'm not mad either, okay? I'm not mad. All right. Sorry. Let's take communion. Receive your healing. You can stand. You can sit. I just want you to receive it. Receive that, that healed hip flexor. Receive perfect lymph nodes. Receive it. Receive a brand new ankle. In the name of Jesus Christ, receive your, your veins and arteries becoming elastic and functioning how they were created to function. Receive unblocked valves. In the name of Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which was broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Just, 
I just, when I take it at home, I just, he bled for you. This is your covenant. Every stripe that ripped through his body, I'm healed. I'm healed every time. I'm healed. Then he, he took the cup, you know, and he said, this cup is, is the new covenant. It's a new covenant. It's a covenant that he bled for like an animal. The animals had a fast death. It's a blood covenant. This is, there's, there's so much power in this if you just recognize what this is. It's a blood covenant with God, with the Ancient of Days, and our intermediary is Jesus. Everything's in it, relationship, authority, healing, your youth being renewed as eagles. But always with the blood part, it's, the blood deals with sin. I just, I just thank you, Lord, that for the complete and total and extreme forgiveness of every sin we've ever committed, that we'll ever commit. It's, it's called, in Hebrews 10, 18, absolute remission. Forgiveness and cancellation of the penalty for every single sin we've ever committed. We receive that gift of righteousness right now and in tri- it restores us in triumph if we're established in it. We are restored and no weapon formed against us shall ever prosper. He took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant. Cut my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.